Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Okay, hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Eric Bricker from Compass Professional Health Services. Eric, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Michael, thank you so much for having me. So here's the game plan um, for the show. What we we seek to do here is educate our audience on non-traditional methods to to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. And so uh, I I think that fits right into your wheelhouse. And to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and Encompass, uh, so the audience has some context about you know who they're listening to, and then we're just going to jump right into it. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. So Dr. Eric Bricker is a board-certified internal medicine physician and serves as the chief medical officer for Compass Professional Health Services and is a recognized thought leader on healthcare consumerism. He co-founded Compass with Scott Schoenvogel and Cliff Sentel in 2005 to help change how healthcare is delivered to improve employee health and lower healthcare costs. Dr. Bricker is one of the few physicians in the country who has unique expertise in patient care, healthcare finance, and employee benefits. Prior to becoming a physician, Dr. Bricker was a hospital finance consultant for Stonkamp and Associates, where he worked on revenue cycle management projects at major medical centers. Dr. Bricker received his medical training at the University of Illinois College of Medicine and Johns Hopkins Hospital and received a BA in economics from Northwestern University. All right. Did I get that right? Yes. And you even pronounced our CEO's last name correctly, which is not easy to do. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll be honest. I did read that a couple times um, <laughs> to make sure that I could pronounce it. So I'm glad I executed on that one. You have a really interesting background. You started off at, as a consultant in revenue cycle management, which which we've discussed on a, on a previous episode here, how really revenue cycle management, you know, accounts for almost 30% of, of fees that the medical provider community um, receives, um, which is, you know, interesting in and of itself. And then, and then you went to medical school to become a doctor. So how did you go from revenue cycle management to becoming a doctor to launching Compass Professional Health Services? Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a great question. So this was, um, this was back in the late 90s, and I don't have anyone in my family um, in medicine or healthcare. I come from a long line uh, of accountants. And so, but I, you know, I was fortunate enough, and I grew up in the town next to the National Institutes of Health, uh, which are in Bethesda, Maryland. And so I had a summer job working in a lab, really loved uh, doing that, and loved uh, bi- biomedical science. And so, but... Um, but this, of course, in the late 90s was when managed care was in full force. And right. I volunteered uh, one summer in an emergency room at a community hospital in Washington, D.C. And every single doctor I talked to said, whatever you do, don't become a physician. The <laughs> profession has been ruined. There's all this paperwork and bureaucracy. Don't become a physician. Become like an accountant or something or an, uh, an architect. So I said, well, you know, okay, well, I, I need to learn about this, you know, this paperwork and insurance and bureaucracy that they're talking about. So actually, so when I graduated from college, I said, well, you know, let me take a few years to work. That's actually fairly typical. Most people don't go straight into medical school from undergrad anymore. They actually you know, do a few years of work. So I uh, went to work for a hospital finance consulting firm. So I'm like, I, you know, if this is so bad, I want to I go in. I 
eyes wide open. And right. so literally worked in the patient financial uh, services uh, department of, you know, several, you know, academic medical centers uh, across the country, very famous names that you'd, uh, that you'd recognize. Mm-hmm. And I uh, learned about, um, about being, about billing and coding and, and the entire, uh, the entire uh, sort of administrative side of healthcare on the dock and the hospital side. It was just fascinating. And as you can imagine, it's a total mess. Yep. And, um, and even in the nineties, they were literally doing it by paper. I mean, they would literally uh, have the hard copy. They weren't called they were, the, the hospital bills back then were called UB 92s, not UB 04s like they are today. And they would literally trifold the UB 92s and put them in the mail. Unbelievable. Um, and so, and there would be stacks and stacks of bills all over these uh, hospitals that, um, had not been sent out or not collected, et cetera. And so, um, really it was a wonderful claims experience for a couple of years, but wanted to be more clinically oriented. So went on to medical school and residency, but I always knew in medical school and residency that I wanted to have a, a, you know, quote unquote, more of an atypical, uh, physician career. I loved seeing patients. Uh, I loved, uh, I loved, you know, you know, bedside management of, you know, diabetes and hypertension. I became an internist mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to treat people. I wasn't really fascinated by like the heart or the lungs or the kidneys or bones. I'm like, you know, all those organs are kind of connected and they're kind of connected to a person that has a personality that lives in a community and has a family and a job. And so I kind of became a physician because I wanted to treat like the whole person. And uh, internal medicine was the most sort of uh, all-encompassing specialty that, um, that allowed for that. And uh, really at the patient bedside, I saw a lot of confusion and frustration still you know, this was, you know, of course, um, in the 90s when Clinton was president, I thought, oh, well, with Hillary Care, they're just going to solve this whole healthcare conundrum and I'm going to have nothing to do. And uh, so it turns out they did not solve the healthcare conundrum. So, no, they, they, um, and, I, they, and it turns out they still haven't solved it. Right. So I, I guess I have something to do uh, probably for the rest of my career uh, <laughs> as you. You know, this is now in 2004, five. We're still having, you know, all these challenges outside of, outside of my practice. And, um, I, as an internist, I was, I was kind of, you know, my hands were tied. I mean, there's only so much I could do, you know, at, you know, in the, in the office or in the hospital. And so, uh, I had kept in touch with one of my former consulting colleagues and he and I, you know, can, and he had moved on to become the EVP of finance for a, a very large healthcare system. And he was seeing the same confusion and frustration in the patient business office. And so he and I said, well, look, we're both doctor and hospital insiders. We actually know a lot about how this works. It'd be great if we could take this to people. And we said, okay, well, how do people get their benefits? Well, they get it for their job. So like, okay, so we're healthcare experts, but we got to become employee benefits experts. And so uh, we, you know, essentially had to give ourselves a crash course in talking to smart folks like you and uh, folks in HR and employee benefits to to learn the employee benefits side of the business, because it's, uh, you know, know, what you do is wonderfully complicated as well. And to learn, you know, all about, uh, you know, specific and aggregate stop loss and lasering and uh, minimum loss ratios and all this sort of fun stuff. Um, and so really the, the, the intersection of employee benefits plus health insurance plus um, the actual clinical experience of the person at the bedside, all that overlap to create Compass as tools and support for healthcare consumers, where if you're going, if you're going to actually be a healthcare consumer, you really need to have sort of uh, uh, support in all those different areas. And that made business sense for a company. Really, I mean, so we started supporting clients in the summer of 2007, so almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that really started making sense about that time, because that's when consumer-directed health plans 
and high deductible health plans were just starting. And at that point, only about 2% of employees nationwide were actually on a CDHP or an HDHP. And so now, you know, HR and their broker benefit consultant, okay, now, you know, here's your HSA card, go forth and be a healthcare consumer. And all the employees are like, I have no idea how to do that. And which, so that's when the company... You, which, is a, which is a joke, which is a joke to, to expect right. that, you know, given the complexity of our system, the fragmented, um, you know, provider community that, you know, people can just, hey, here's your high deductible, go figure it out. You know, that, that's a, a misconceived notion for sure. We even have uh, exposure to some groups where they did that as 100% replacement. And there was such an employee revolt that the head of HR got fired as did their benefit consultant, and they went back to a traditional PPO. So it was <laughs> such a uh, debacle from a employee relations standpoint. Sure, they saved a ton of money, but what's the use of saving a ton of money if the employees are going to show up at the CFO's house with porches? So they're like, okay, we cannot do that. And so that's where we've seen, and that's really why we invented Compass is to say, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, CDHPs and HDHPs are actually actuarially superior to a traditional PPO plan. I mean, they actually make more sense financially. And then two, there's been actual studies by like the American Actuary Association that, that actually looked at, uh, it was the study was published in 2009, actually looked at consumer-directed health plans versus traditional PPO plans. They actually found that, that people actually did not avoid necessary care. And if anything, they were actually more compliant with preventive medicine, right? Because if you've got to pay for it out of your own pocket, you're going to do things like, yeah. oh, I better get my annual physical. I better take my medication the way I'm supposed to be taking it. They actually found that there were higher compliance rates with those things and that, they, that their physicians actually had higher compliance rates with evidence-based medicine. So I kind of tell people, I'm like, you know, forget about CDHPs and HDHPs in terms of saving money. It's actually a higher quality plan for your employees. And, you know, we at Compass, I mean, that's the only kind of, of plan we have for our employees because I kind of jokingly say, you know, PPO stands for Passive Patient Organization. It's like, here's my $25 copay doc, do whatever you want. And that's actually not good for you. It's not good to be a passive patient. It's actually unhealthy for you. It's well, better to be an active participant with your doctor when you're making these decisions. That actually speaks to, I think, one of one of the main problems in our current you know, healthcare system is, you know, with any other good and service in the marketplace, you're connected to it by the cost. You know, you make a, de a determination on, you know, where you shop based on your budget, right? And when consumers through their employee benefit plan are insulated from the true cost of care, that leads to waste. And so I agree with you that there, there needs to be, you know, an active role in understanding uh, where the cost is and what the impact of that is. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to see more waste. True. So <laughs> great to hear kind of the evolution of, of how you started and, um, and uh, you know, how, how you got to, to launching Compass. Um, before we, we dive deeper into the Compass product and service, you know, I'd just like to get your opinion on when you think about our, our healthcare system and how, you know, costs continue to increase. Um, in your own words, in your own opinion, what do you think is, is wrong with the system and, and why we continue to see, you know, medical inflation, you know, outpace traditional inflation by, you know, three and four times? Yeah. And that is, so it's a great question. And I actually think that um, when people try to answer that question, they, you know, I think they're well-intentioned, but I think they throw a lot of smoke screens out there where they talk about things like, well, you know, oh, it's chronic disease or it's obesity or it's technology. And I actually don't think that it's any of those, that when it comes down to it, the crux of it is two things. And those two things are fee-for-service payment and third-party payment. And that if you create a system 
where you have, you don't have, you don't fee for service means you pay for service. You don't pay for outcomes. You don't pay for results. You pay for service. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think you're going to get if you pay for service? You're going to get service. And some of that service may be helpful. And some of that service will probably not be necessary. But because you're paying for service, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get lots of service. So, uh, so fee for service is, is one of the problems. And then imagine a fee for service world where the people paying the fee are not the people actually receiving the service. And that's third party payment. And that's what you have in the form of employer sponsored health plans or even government sponsored health plans like Medicare and Medicaid. So that's the equivalent of like giving the teenager the parent's credit card and never checking the credit card statement. And so, you know, you know how that's going to end. That's and right. so when you combine these when you combine these two forces of fee for service payments plus third party payment, like I will guarantee you that you will get exactly what you have today in healthcare. And and you know, let's just say that and we, and we do this because of, you know, the, 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 the tax benefits of employer-sponsored health care, which, you know, came out of, you know, World War II and needing to, you know, hire people with wage freezes, et cetera. But imagine a world where employee benefits was actually grocery. Let's say you could use pre-tax dollars, that an employer could use pre-tax dollars to pay for groceries. What would happen? Well, the exact same thing that happens in healthcare, right? That's and right. So people would go into the grocery store, you know, be like, I'm going to get all this stuff and I'm just going to swipe my card. And my employer is going to pay for my groceries. I mean, what do you think the shopping list is going to look like when you do that? Steak and lobster. So, Steak and lobster. So I'm right. All sorts of stuff. You know, I don't. You know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy all this. I'm not even gonna use it. I'm just gonna like hoard all this stuff in my pantry. So, um, so anyway, the point is, is that consumer directed healthcare. Um, addresses really one of those two. At the end of the day, if you're going to prioritize attacking one of those two, I would prioritize third-party payment over fee-for-service. Because at the end of the day, fee-for-service in a service economy, you know, we're kind of used to that. You don't always pay for fee-for-outcome, right? I mean, you, right. Pay, you, know, you might pay fee-for-service to a financial advisor. They don't guarantee you that you're going to make money in the stock market. You pay fee-for-service for an attorney. They don't guarantee you that you're going to win the court case. You pay fee-for-service for an accountant. It doesn't you know, mean that you're not going to get audited. So we're kind of used to being like, okay, I'll pay a fee for a service. It doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, that, that's kind of normal. But the third-party third party payment is not normal, which was the original point that you made. But And that's where CDHPs and HDHPs become actuarial, actuarially superior is because it makes the plan design um, less of a third-party payment structure because it says, look, this is your money that you're spending the employee. So in other words, your decisions are being made at the margin. And it's your money at the margin. And if it's not literally your money at the margin, it's your money on your HSA or your HRA debit card that's at the margin. And oh, by the way, that money rolls over from year to year. So you as an employer, as a family member, you care about the margin. Now, employees don't use that word, you know, margin you know, and third party payments that, you know, they don't use those words, but essentially that's the psychology that's going on in their brain. And that's super important. And I don't mean to say psychology in like a hocus pocus way. I mean, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger at Berkshire Hathaway say, look, incentives are superpowers. And, um, and that goes to like BF Skinner at Harvard and, you know, operant conditioning, everything. But the point is, is that if you can correctly align the incentives of the employees and their family members and align those with, the employer and align those with the physician. You have to align, you know, everybody knows that the problem with healthcare is that the, the, the incentives are not aligned correctly. Exactly. And if you can align the incentives correctly, then beautiful things happen. Beautiful. I mean, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, I've seen it work. 
I mean, we've, we've done this at companies and they've decreased their, their benefits spend by like $35 million. And the care of their employees like improved. It was unbelievable. Like, it's like, I was like, when, when it first happened, you know, my co-founders and I were like, holy moly, this works. And um, so anyway, I mean, and so, you know, you can tell by the passion of my voice, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Cause I, you know, it, it's up to, you know, 29% of employees are now on a CDHP or an HDHP. Uh, it's only increasing. It increased more last year than it did in the, in the, in the previous years. And again, this is not about shortchanging people. Um, and there are, you know, and if people are like, oh, you know, if people can't afford it, what have you, but you know, you, you can always find a way and you got to be creative and you got to mm-hmm. work at it. But, um, but that, but that's where, you know, you, you know, the employees and their family members are not quote unquote healthcare or health system experts, but if you have that sort of expertise alongside of you, then you can always find a way. Well, and I think <clears throat> one, I, I can hear the passion in your voice and I love it. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, and thank you for those examples. I think, you know, people need to hear that, you know, you don't have to accept the status quo that, you know, this whole notion that healthcare costs increase every single year. And, and that's just the way it is. Uh, That's false. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are employers out there, you know, doing things that, you know, can, you know, stem the tide of rising healthcare costs, but back to what you guys are specifically doing, you know, there is, um, I think in in healthcare today, a a value problem. It seems like the value of what we're getting is is continually diminished when you know our costs are going up and our out of pocket expenses are going up alongside that. Um, and the system is incredibly complex to navigate. I mean, for for people who work in the industry, like myself, like you, we understand how to navigate it because we work in the industry day in and day out. But for, for, for somebody who doesn't, for somebody who's a teacher, who's a janitor, who's, um, you know, a, a marketing person at a regular company, this isn't their day-to-day thing. And so you insert them in the system and, you know, whatever their interaction is with, with the, the healthcare system. And oftentimes, you know, what they're getting is, is confusion and frustration and, uh, you know, on top of, you know, having to pay more. So tell me, tell our audience specifically, what is Compass doing for uh, employers and their employees and what problem are you attempting to solve? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Michael. So, um, so Compass uh, is tools and support for healthcare consumers, and that takes the form of a personal healthcare concierge or a person that we call a health pro. And employees and their family members interact with their health pro by phone or email, or we also have an online member portal and smartphone app as well. And uh, those uh, health pros um, sort of act as, actually our, our clients use, use this term, they, we, we sort of act as the administrative medical home for the employees. So we don't, we don't try to play doctor. We don't try to you know, make medical decisions uh, for the employees. We're just saying, hey, let's get the employee and their family uh, matched up with the, the right doctor at the right time with the right expertise that, 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 so that they can get the right care. And one of the things that we do to achieve that is uh, uh, at a basic level, we actually provide the in-network price transparency um, and that uh, for, uh, for various test procedures, offices, et cetera. And that becomes important in a consumer-directed health plan because there, the, you know, the co-pays go away. And so there mm-hmm. you're actually paying the quote-unquote discounted or allowed amount. And, and this is a, a dynamic, Michael, that you're very well aware of and your, your listeners might be well aware of too, is that those in-network allowed amounts are actually very different depending on where you go locally. So kind of the classic example there is that like an in-network MRI at one facility could be $400 and at another in-network facility could be like $2,400. 
And, you know, maybe you as the employee, you, you know, you may or may not choose to go to the least expensive place, but you'd like to at least know in advance kind of what your options are and what that would mean in terms of your out-of-pocket costs. So at least you can make more of an educated decision instead of it being some sort of black box where you're just going to get a bill 60 days later and cross your fingers and hope that it's not, you know, incredibly high. So, um, so we actually, we have a database of over a billion claims that we use to give that comparative uh, pricing information. You know, it's network specific. It's, it's, uh, it's tailored to your specific area. So obviously in Los Angeles, where you are, I mean, traffic is a huge deal. So if you're in Santa Monica, you're not necessarily going to go to the Valley or vice versa, or maybe you would. I mean, it's very individual choice, Mm -hmm. Um, but that way we can kind of avail you to your options. And then we, instead of, you know, Compass by Design is not just a website because we intentionally wrap that pricing information with a suite of concierge services. So we'll actually like schedule the appointment for you. Or at the end of the day, we just find a lot of doctors for people. And, you know, it's like, hey, I need a dermatologist. Hey, I need an ophthalmologist. And, you know, we'll go through, you know, the, the basic logistics of, okay, well, you know, where, you know, what, you know, what location are you looking for? What sort of appointment availability? It might be a certain area of clinical expertise that you're looking for. You know, heaven forbid the person has multiple sclerosis and they're not looking for a general neurologist, but really somebody that subspecializes in MS. Then we can find those dedicated MS specialists and link them up uh, with our members. And then, of course, once they start going to the doctor, they start, you know, they get prescribed a medication. So Compass Assist on the prescription side as well, where members will send in their list of expensive brand name medications. And we'll go through and we'll say, okay, well, there are any same class or other class, you know, generic alternatives. So classic example there is like Crestor for high cholesterol. It's like $140 a month. It actually just became generic. It's Resuvastatin now. It's about $16 a month. So there's lots of other uh, cholesterol-lowering statin medications that are generic now, like Lipitor is generic now. It's a Torvastatin. It's only about $12 a month. Mm -hmm. And this is where Compass can actually work with the prescribing physician's office to see if any of those alternatives are appropriate for them. Uh, and then have them call into a local pharmacy. And essentially what that does is that mimics the prescribing patterns of the physicians at Johns Hopkins, where I did my residency, because uh, pharmaceutical representatives were banned from the hospital because they didn't want them influencing the attending physicians and the, uh, and the, and the residents and the medical students. They wanted their prescribing practices to be um, uh, evidence-based and frankly, economical. I mean, we were dealing with a bunch of, you know, you know, you know, not financially well-off people in East Baltimore, and they literally had to make a choice between like groceries and their medicine. And so we, I mean, we wanted to be cost-conscious for them. I mean, yeah, that's because we knew that if we weren't, they, I mean, they, they probably wouldn't take their medicine because they couldn't afford it. So we wanted to be cost-conscious for them. Um, so we just said, hey, you know, we can take that approach and just apply that to employees at a company. And um, and then, you know, finally, okay, so fine, you know, help find a doc, per- compare prices, help on a prescription. And then once people start using their benefits and going to the doctor, they start getting all these bills. And it's like, do I really owe that extra $750? And this is where Compass can actually review those problem bills on our members' behalf. And if we find an error, then we can work to resolve it. And, um, you know, there's there's all sorts of, of errors in medical bills. It might be because the uh, provider coded it incorrectly or the carrier in- adjudicated it incorrectly. And this is where, you know, we'll chase down, we'll sort of be a, a third-party ombudsman, if you will. And mm-hmm. we'll chase down where the error has occurred and, uh, and fix that. And frankly, we have a fair number of like highly compensated um, uh, employers that hire us like just for that reason. Like we've got a, you know, I won't mention any names. We've got a fancy law firm in LA that's a client of ours. Uh, we have a, a, a talent agency that's a client of ours. And like for them, 
I'll be honest with you, money's not really the issue. The issue is like their time because they're billing out at like $800 an hour. So the last thing that that HR wants their employees doing is spending one minute on anything benefits or healthcare related. And so they're like, well, look, now you have this compass concierge who's going to help you. So even even if they have rich benefits, I mean, anybody can benefit from being a quote unquote better healthcare consumer. So um, so that's that's what we're doing. To answer the second part of your question of you know what problem are we specifically solving is it's one of two ways, right? One, it's that if you're going to put in a CDHP or HDHP, you've got to have some sort of tool uh, and support service to help the employees in that new plan design. Uh, It's a change and change causes stress. And Mm -hmm. so this way, you know, the the typical HR department is not staffed to be able to handle, you know, all these sorts of questions. Uh, A lot of people don't necessarily even want to talk to their insurance carrier. If they talk to their insurance carrier, the insurance carrier says, well, it's not our fault. It's the doctor's office's fault. And then the member calls the doctor's office and the doctor's office says, well, it's not our fault. It's the insurance company's fault. And then the person's stuck. And then they come to HR and HR is like, well, this is not really what I do. And so, uh, and then it's going to come to the broker. Uh, and so this is where they can say, well, look, this is where your, your Compass Health Pro concierge, this is specifically why they exist and what they're here for, uh, to really make this new plan design and this new paradigm work for you. So as that adjunct tool for our CDHP or HDHP is one big way that, that folks use us. And then the other big way is just for folks that are looking for that high-end benefits experience, um, especially in places like California, where, you know, there's really a war for talent, whether it be in the entertainment industry or the technology industry. I mean, they just want like, you know, the best employees and they want to offer the best benefits packages right. to attract those employees. And and so that's where, like I said, we have a lot of firms that kind of hire us just for that because they really want to give their employees a high-end benefits experience so they can focus on their jobs and their families. For like technology companies, it tends to be a lot of young employees. What a lot of young employees have, well, they start having young families. They start having babies. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot, if there's anything more complicated than having a baby, you start getting all these bills, like the nursery and the pediatrician and the OB-GYN and the hearing test. And on top of that, you're like sleep deprived, trying to figure out feeding schedules and you're trying to work at the same time. So it was very common for us to assist with folks that have, you know, you're either expecting children or have recently had children um, for that same reason. Uh, as well. So we've been we've been very fortunate to partner up with with great companies and, and great broker benefit consultants that have specifically sort of strategically used us in a, in one of those two ways. Got it. So it, I mean it really sounds like you're you're trying to fill a void in in the marketplace where you know where there's really not an advocate for the employee. And that's where you guys step in and and become that that advocate to simplify the system but also you know help steer them towards better decision-making. Yep. I would agree with that. Got it. So, you know, I, I can, you know, as, as a consumer, I mean, that sounds great. I, I wish, I wish we had compass, <laughs> um, but um, you know, for, for an employer, you know, they may have other, other benefit offerings. And, and oftentimes what we see is like just a simple example, an employee assistance program, an employee assistance program can be such a valuable you know, resource for an employee at different stages of, you know, of their life. Um, And most of the time, the utilization is incredibly low. And I think a lot of times there are different benefits that employers will offer and the utilization is, is putrid. It's incredibly low, even, even telemedicine. I mean, I've, I'm a big user of telemedicine. I'm, I love it. Um, And I think if more people knew about it, they would be using it. And, and so how do you work with an employer to, help educate their employees on maybe some benefit offerings that, that they could, would be useful to a person, but maybe they just don't know about it. Yeah, Michael, that's, that's a great question. And we actually, uh, back in the in the early days of just starting Compass, we, we ran into that uh, exact same phenomenon. And, uh, and that's where um, 
our uh, our employer clients, they get assigned specific health pros. So it's not just a, a bank of people uh, at a at a call center. It is you know they get Greg or Amanda or Samantha, and by employer we load in their various programs. You know their major vendors like you know medical, RX, dental, vision, but then we also load in those other programs as well, like EAP telemedicine that you mentioned. Uh, one of our our clients, um, they have a lot of young employees, and to the point about labor and delivery, they have a healthy pregnancy program uh, where the employees get an extra $100 uh, uh, if they uh, enroll in this uh, healthy pregnancy program to, to try to minimize you know, early deliveries and premature babies, et cetera. And uh, to your point, fantastic programs, they tend to be just underutilized. And so when we were interacting with the employees, we basically found that we had these like uh, teachable moments where, um, where you know, within our, uh, within our software system that we use to manage our members, that when, you know, Joe, the employee calls in, we can pull them up in our system and then start helping them out that um, by employer, you know, the, the internal slang term we use is, is pop-ups, but they're essentially, it's, it's employer messaging so that we can say, hey, you know, we have, we have a big telecom company that's a client of ours. They use uh, telemedicine. And so we put in business logic around, you know, what types of people and what situations to then avail them to their telemedicine. And then we can either warm transfer them and stay on the line with them or, or give them the number, you know, likewise. Uh, whether it's, you know, mental health issues and they, you know, they can either take advantage of telephonic counseling through the EAP, like you talked about, or sometimes they'll have like a network of counselors that they can also use as well. So um, we even have some folks that use these like um, uh, second opinion chart review programs for, you know, rare diseases. Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, you know, really complex like psoriatic arthritis or something of that sort, then it's like, okay, well, maybe you want to get a, you know, a, a Harvard physician to review this stuff. Well, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does happen, we can steer them into that particular program. Um, so it's, it's really been great. Uh, it's, been, it's been really a, an, uh, an opportunity for, for uh, the, the benefits packages that you and the HR teams put together are really um, a really fantastic benefit. And to be able to, um, to, to, to highlight those programs and then plug people in to those programs at the right time is one of the ways that employers specifically use uh, Compass in their health pro. So I, I would imagine that you know, an employer that, that signs up with, with Compass for your service um, that, you know, naturally and organically, you know, there's positive feedback from employees because they, they have an advocate where before maybe they didn't have one. Right. So, so to me, I, I would think that's pretty, um, pretty logical, but other than a better experience for employees is, is there a financial benefit for an employer that partners with compass? Uh, great question. Short answer is yes. And, you know, the, the simplest, you know, brass tax way to address that cost issue is that um, if the employer, you know, and their, you know, their broker benefit consultant is looking to move to a CDHP, then there's enough ongoing evidence out there to show the financial gains from that. And again, whether it be from, you know, the major carriers or the American Actuary Society that shows that, okay, you put in a CDHP first year, it's going to come in anywhere from five to 15, sometimes even 20 percentage points lower in terms of your medical spend. And then year over year trend tends to be about three, per, three to four percentage points lower than your traditional low deductible PPO plan. So, you know, you, you, can, you can take, you know, let's say, you know, round numbers, you take out 15% in the first year and then year over year, instead of trending at 8%, you only trend at 4%. And so if you're talking like, you know, brass tax, you know, then it's like, okay, we got to put in that plan. And that's where uh, brokers or benefit consultants either use us as part of, you know, 100% replacement where they're going to rip off the Band-Aid and put everybody on that plan, or that's just too much for some employers to handle. So they'll do, you know, dual option 
or especially on the West Coast, they might even do triple option with an HMO as well. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have premium differential to get people, you know, where the, the CDHP or HHP is the least expensive plan. Uh, so there's and, and, it, and it makes more financial sense to the employees because the money that they're spending out of their paycheck, actually, the employer then uses it to put that into the HSA account and then you use it at the margin. I mean, we literally have members who are like, oh, yeah. I use my benefits because I hate the fact that they take so much money out of my paycheck every two weeks. And it's like, well, that's, that's not the attitude we want you to have. Right. So, um, so, uh, uh, what, so, so that's where um, they'll do like a, a three to four year migration strategy where, you know, year one might be 10% on the CDHP years, two, three, and four, and they might get it up to 40 to 50%. And then in year three or four, then they'll actually take away the traditional PPO plan. They might leave the HMO, especially on the West coast, depends on what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the, the majority of the rest of the country, they don't use HMO. So it, it's really the choice between the PPO and the CDHP. Um, so uh, so then the, the, we have some you know, major employers uh, like Michaels that did that. They, they took four years, but they eventually sunsetted their traditional PPO, or I think it's EPO plan, put everybody on the CDHP. And so you get the, you get the financial benefit of it. But again, Compass is the tool that allows that transition to happen. In fact, Chili's restaurants and Maggiano's restaurants, parent companies, Brinker, said that they had wanted to move to 100% replacement plan for several years, but they knew they couldn't do it because they didn't have a tool to help the employees. And then when we met each other, they're like, aha, now is our moment. Now we can do it because now we have a tool that we can give their employees. And as you can imagine, there was some confusion and grumbling in the year one. Of but course. Really by year two and year three. By, by year two and year three, it was gone. And they had a benefit there, I didn't tell you that. Uh, and, and they did, it was interesting too, is they did all that pre-ACA so that like they, they were kind of already, they were already kind of done. I mean, they, you know, just in terms of being able to be proactive and be able to sure. handle administrative changes from ACA, they were like in much better shape than all their peers because they kind of handled their quote unquote cost problem uh, several years before ACA. Um, to that end, for other employers that, you know, either already have moved to a CDHP or still are with a traditional PPO plan and don't want to switch, you know, we, you know, just from the interactions of Compass, you can think of Compass almost like a network maximizer, right? You've got your existing discounts, but you'd like to be able to steer people to more cost-effective providers within that network. So Compass sort of allows you to do that. And we generally see about a three-to-one ROI just with the, you know, sort of network maximization steering people to the right place. Now, you know, we can do detailed reporting. Um, you know, it's claims based, it's solution by solution. So we can actually, you know, you know, show or prove out those savings to employers. Um, frankly, some some folks, uh, that's either too much into the weeds to them, or um, you know, at the end of the day, some employers have been so burned by ROI in the past that they just don't believe any ROI. And certainly, you nor I are going to be able to change that opinion about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't even try. We just say, look, I mean, if 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 that's the way you feel about ROI in healthcare, period, then so be it. I mean, you're you're entitled to your opinion. But, if, you know, if, if you, I mean, literally, like we have, you know, case studies where it's, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars from that transition to the CDHP facilitated by Compass that'll, that'll, that'll get you, that will get you, um, you know, uh, you know, financial improvement. The last thing I'll add is, is there's an excellent book by a CEO um, named John Tornis. He wrote a book called The Company That Solved Healthcare. He wrote it quite a while ago. I think it was like 2010. But mm-hmm. he, he ran a company in Wisconsin that makes dashboards for cars and trucks called Serograph. And like the book describes how he kept his company's trend flat for 10 years. I mean, Michael, if you could do that for all your groups, I mean, you'd be like famous. I mean, you'd be like the, the, the smartest man of all employee benefits. I, and, I, I think uh, they'd and call he, me, I think they'd call me Superman if that, if that could happen. They, they, I mean, that is, I mean, I, I ask employers sort of facetiously, I'm like, would you like, you know, how would you feel if your trend was flat for the past 10 years? And everyone's like, that would be awesome. Um, and he did it through a combination of 
a consumer directed health plan. It and it wasn't it wasn't egregious. It was like a fifteen hundred dollar deductible individual with like an HRA, and the HRA rolled over. I mean, so he didn't give him some sort of catastrophic three or four thousand dollar individual deductible plan and sock it to the employees. I mean, gave him a reasonable CDHP. And, and, and this is what he did that was so awesome. Built his own price transparency tool. This was before Compass. Compass did not exist. And he went to his carrier and said, we're self-funded. Give us our claims data. And he was able to twist their arm and he got it. And his HR department literally built their own price transparency tool. Mm-hmm. And it was available on the internet for the employees. And you know what the employees did? They're like, ah, this thing's too complicated. I'm just going to sit down with the HR person and they'll do it for me. And that's exactly what they did. They walked into the HR department and said, I need this like oscopy scan single jig. And they would like, you know, the HR person actually knew, you know, they'd come talk to the doctor's office. They'd actually figure out what was going on and they actually made it work. And that is essentially what Compass mimics instead of it being your own HR department, though it's your, it's your health pro. So um, I think your point that you said earlier in the conversation is absolutely correct, where you just you don't have to settle for the status quo. And John Tornis even says that himself. He's like, CEOs in America have forgot the golden rule. And the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. And the CEOs have the gold. They can make yeah. the rules. Yeah. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of, you know, choosing to put forth the time and the effort to make the rules. Because he says, look, if you're a CEO and if you want to put forth the effort, you can solve this problem. It is solvable. And, and here are some steps to do it. Yeah. And, and I, I think really what I think people have gotten numb, they've gotten numb. Maybe you can call it lazy, but I think they've just, you know, um, started to believe that, you know, medical inflation, you know, is what it is and there's nothing you can do about it. But, but I think, you know, this conversation and this example, you know, and I love how you put it, network maximization. Um, there's so much waste out there. And, you know, it sounds like what that company did is, I mean, that's old school price transparency, but really healthcare navigation. That's what that was. And so by steering people to the most cost efficient providers, you know, that's how they were able to flatten their trend. And that's, you know, for a large majority of employers out there within their plans, that's completely missing. And, you know, a a regular, you know, I, I won't mention names and you know who they are, but a regular price transparency tool. It's just not going to do that. It's not going to be as effective because people need help. I, I, I sincerely you know, do not believe that a mobile app alone can do it. Well, and that's why we, you know, we started with the health pro concierge model from day one, just because from working on the provider side, you know, the actual execution, the ability to like, you know, quote unquote, get it done. It's just hard. I mean, shoot, just sometimes just like making an appointment's hard, right? You got to yep. wait on hold. You got to go through the phone tree. The t- person that you talk to is like, oh, I've only been working here for two weeks. I don't really know what's going on. I mean, just making an appointment is hard. And so, and a lot of people, they end up either just giving up or path of least resistance or what have you. So we knew that we had to do the heavy, heavy lifting uh, on the part of employees. Again, it's not their fault. I mean, they're experts in you know law or making widgets or picking grapes, but they're not healthcare experts. And so that's where we wanted to take on that responsibility for them. So here's a question for you, you know, great service, you know, see how it can, you know, create extraordinary value. Uh, But ultimately, you got to get employees to use it. So how are you, how are you marketing this to employees? Um, And, and what sort of engagement rate are you getting? Yeah, so that is, um, 
that's a great question. It's really a central question. It's a, it's a question that we sit down with all of our prospective employers and their broker benefit consultants, um, you know, as part of the vetting process and even after, you know, during implementation and after implementation as well, is that obviously a service like Compass only works if people use it and people only use it if it's communicated appropriately. And mm-hmm. so we have a, sort of a, a menu of best practices when it comes around to communication. And so it involves, you know, one, open enrollment and we have hard copy, soft copy materials. We've got videos in English and Spanish. Um, you, know, we'll, you know, we do on-site presentations. We will do like um, some innovative groups have actually done our, our, our we have, a, we have a, an online, we call Get Connected Registration where they've included that online Get Connected Registration as like part of their flow for open enrollment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, don't do a don't do a passive open enrollment. You know, it's like you gotta do an active open enrollment. You gotta actually like pay attention to your benefits once a year. And they'll be like, okay, sign up for medical, sign up for dental, sign up for vision. Okay, I'm gonna do my compass registration. Uh, we do this for a, a large hotel chain. And they got you know hotel managers all over the country. It's hard to communicate mm-hmm. with those folks. Sure. They had to sign up uh, along the way. And what's great about that compass registration process is obviously uh, you and your listeners are familiar with like a health risk assessment. Well, what we do during that registration process is we ask them a consumerism risk assessment about things like, do you have a primary care physician? Do you have any chronic medical conditions? Do you have any chronic medications? Do you have any upcoming tests or procedures? And then the way that you answer those questions, it gets routed to your health pro and it sort of primes the pump in terms of ways that we can help you. And then that health pro proactively starts assisting that member based upon how they answer that um, consumerism risk assessment. We have some employers that even specifically incentivize things like getting a primary care physician and getting an annual physical, which is a little bit of, of um, population health management nerdum. But generally, a group will only have about 30% of their employees that have seen a primary care physician in the prior 12 months. And the reason that you want to increase that use of primary care is that if you, you know, obviously the, the majority of healthcare costs are in your catastrophic claimants, right? It's a 550 rule. 50% yep. of claims costs come from 5% of the employees. Yep. But if you look at the utilization of those five percenters, they, many of them actually had um, little to no utilization in the prior 12 months. So they essentially have this thing called I feel fine syndrome, right? Where they're like a ticking time bomb with their diabetes uh, and their hypertension and their cardiovascular disease or their cancer, and then they explode and they become a catastrophic claimant. And the time to reach those people is not when they've exploded, which is why the historical disease management model doesn't work. Because once you're like wrapped up in the system and you've got like one or two or five doctors, like, are you really going to talk to some nurse on the phone who's going to tell your doctors what to do? The answer is no, you're never going to do. You're going to listen to like one of your five doctors and you're going to be like, look, my trans, you know, I'm getting a kidney transplant here. You know, I'm not going to listen to somebody on the phone when I'm getting a kidney transplant. Well, that's not the time to talk to them. The time to talk to them, the time to talk to them is when they have I feel fine syndrome. And the time to talk to them is when their blood sugar is 420 and they don't feel it. The time to talk to them is when their blood pressure is 190 over 110 and they don't feel it. The time to, the, the time to talk to them is when they have a colon polyp and they're 51 and they haven't gotten their colonoscopy yet. And so that's where by getting people into primary care, getting their age and gender appropriate screenings done. I mean, we literally had one construction firm that found like 54 new diabetics in one year. And they're, they start freaking out. We're like, oh my gosh, we have all these diabetics. I'm like, you've always had these diabetics. They just didn't know it. And this is great. It's actually, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because otherwise these diabetics are going to be showing up as strokes and kidney disease and eye disease and heart attacks. And let's at least get them treated now instead of later. So Absolutely. that is that initial register, you know, and anyway, it avoids the personal catastrophe. I mean, forget about the money. I mean, you don't want these people, you know, getting heart attacks and colon cancer when you could have prevented it. Um, and uh, so 
But you do all that rollout stuff, great, Eric, fantastic, you're boring me. You can't just roll out the program at the beginning of the year. What we do is every month we send out what we call health, uh, uh, healthcare consumerism tips about how to be a better healthcare consumer and how Compass can help you do that. And so it's basically like a, like a curriculum campaign over the course of the year where one month it's about prescriptions, one month it's about imaging, the next month it's about problem medical bills. And we'll actually see a spike in our call and our email volume when we send out one of these tips because it acts as a reminder of, oh yeah, I got this kind of service, this is how it can help me. And so being able to distribute those on a monthly basis is uh, super important, best practice. The way that companies do that is very company specific. And we're totally open to that. For white collar employers, might be by email, we might send it to HR, HR might post it on their intranet site. For uh, manufacturing employers, it might be through break room signage, or a lot of times we'll do these like monthly workers' comp safety meetings. And so mm-hmm. we like train the trainer so that when those, when they have those monthly meetings, um, then they'll talk about Compass once a month. Or like Nebraska Furniture Mart is a client of ours. Um, they're not on the West Coast, but in the Midwest, it's, it's huge. I mean, they literally have like a 50-acre furniture store uh, in Texas and in Nebraska. And, uh, and there, every morning, because the, the retail folks are obviously out on the floor, um, every morning they have what they call morning stand-ups. And, and the entire company, the managers do a stand-up with their employees. And they talk about all sorts of stuff, like what's on sale, what, you know, what stuff they need to, you know, it's out of stock, et cetera. And so one of the things they talk about once a month in their standups is Compass. And so our account managers specifically kind of go through the menu of, okay, here are our best practices. Which ones of these best practices apply to you as an organization? And then, uh, and then as you can imagine, you have to constantly tweak that on a go forward basis uh, for all sorts of reasons. Maybe the HR person changes, maybe they have a change in, you know, corporate communications policy, et cetera. So the, the account managers work over time to continue tweaking that program. But, um, but that, that's one of the keys to success on utilization and, uh, and results for the program. Perfect. Perfect. You know, um, we had one of your team members do a, a webinar for uh, a number of our employees a couple weeks ago. She did a great job. And one of the things that came up on that, on that call was something called net promoter score. Do you want to talk yep. a little bit about net promoter score and why that's relevant in the healthcare industry? Yeah, Net Promoter Score has been a, been around for a while, but it is it is sort of a somewhat of a newer way of measuring customer satisfaction. And businesses that are big into customer satisfaction, like Amazon and Apple and Enterprise Rent a Car, they use this for measuring their own customer satisfaction. And it's, it's it's a very simple question. They ask people on a scale of zero to ten, uh, how would you be willing to refer a friend or a family member to use this service? With ten being the most likely, zero being not likely at all. And if you answer a eight, nine, or 10, that is counted as a promoter. And then if you are a six or a seven, that's counted as a neutral. And then if you are five and below, then that is a detractor. And the reason that it's called net promoter is because it's the promoters net the detractors. So it has nothing to do with like a fishing net. It has to do with the fact that you're taking the promoters, you're subtracting out the, um, you, you, you don't count the middle people at all. And then you're, you're, you're subtracting out the bottom folks, and then you're left with a number. And mm-hmm. that number is your quote unquote net promoter score. Uh, and so, um, you know, our, uh, our net promoter score is, you know, we even measure it by client, but it's upwards of, of 80, plus 85 plus 86, which to benchmark that, you know, folks like Southwest Airlines and Apple and even like USAA are like in the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, frankly, there's some, some other industries which I won't mention, <clears throat> uh, that have negative net promoters. Well, no, I, I, are- I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask you to mention that because I, I asked this question for a reason. So if your net promoter score is, is, you know, 
you know, what's the net promoter score for our traditional insurance carriers? Yeah. And they're, uh, and, it, and it's really, it's healthcare in general. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to single anybody out, but it's, you know, in general, people's healthcare net promoter scores are single digits to negative is what it is. And here's the reason for it. And it's, it's not just, you know, bad people. Like I, I really don't believe in like, in, in, you know, making people villains, but the issue is, is that it's a matter of expectations and fine print. And frankly, in healthcare and in insurance, there's a ton of fine print. And like in insurance, that fine print is called medical policy. And medical policy is you have insurance, but, and it's all the but. You have insurance, but we don't cover bunions. You have, in, you have insurance, but we don't cover bunions. But if you have diabetes, we do cover bunions. You have insurance, but we'll only cover these four CPT codes for your pulmonary function test, but we won't cover these additional two CPT codes for the pulmonary function test. Well, the problem is, is that no patient and no doctor knows what that medical policy is. And so you get this mismatch between expectations about what your insurance actually does cover and then what the fine print says. And that creates a lot of dissatisfaction. And we, we honestly have some clients where like one of the primary reasons they hired us was for us to be able to better set the expectations of their employees and hold their hand through things like medical policy. So, sure. and that's, and that's, and that's, and you know, and again, that's getting super nerdy. That's, you know, that, that might be, you know, probably too into, into the weeds for some folks, but that's, but that's super important because that well, really gets down to the crux of satisfaction and actually viewing benefits as a benefit. I mean, right. Your typical, your typical company is spending eight to $10,000 per employee per year on this. I mean, that is a huge investment. You, you know, I, I own a company. I want, I'm, we're spending a ton of money on our benefits. I want our employees to feel like their benefits are a benefit. I don't want to, I don't want to have them feel like it's a point of frustration or consternation. I want them to feel like it's a benefit. And the way that you do that uh, is by, you know, managing expectations, holding their hand, giving them this concierge experience. So that, um, you know, again, we were, we, we knew as provider insiders, the nuances of what was causing those frustration points. And that's why we specifically designed the Compass service to address those. I love it. I love it. And, and the reason, you know, the reason I asked you that question, because I do think that concept of net promoter score, that, that captures quite well the, the dissatisfaction that most people have with their healthcare experience, whether it's with the insurance company, whether it's with the provider and in, and it, you know, exemplifies the complexity of the system. And so the fact that you guys are getting, you know, scores of 85%, you know, I think should be evidence to our our listeners that, um, you know, by using a service like Compass, you know, you can improve the value of your benefit offering, you know, tenfold. Yeah. And that's where, um, you know, we've been, uh, we've been super fortunate in that we do this for, you know, over 2000 companies nationwide. And it's, you know, big household names like, you know, Southwest Airlines and T-Mobile and Chili's Restaurant. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of mid-market groups, kind of 100 to 2,000. And we even do small group as well. And we really spread the majority of our growth was by word of mouth. And I can prove that to you because yours truly, the chief medical officer, was in charge of sales and marketing. What a horrible idea. You never <laughs> want to have a doctor in charge of sales and marketing. So I, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, and it was, it was just because people were like, ah, this stuff works. Let me tell my colleague about it. And that's, we were fortunate to grow uh, in that respect. Now, of course, we put some more structure and rigor around our sales and marketing. So we actually have professionals that know how to do this now. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we, we just, you know, we, we identified a pay, uh, you know, pain in the marketplace. We, you know, we created a service that addressed it and we were, we were fortunate to grow from that. Very good. Well, hey, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. We're almost to the end of our hour. Two more questions. You know, you're not the only company operating in this space, um, and and the space I would call you know healthcare navigation. So, what what makes you guys different than 
than other firms out there in the marketplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I would say that um, the you know other you know, there, there are other other folks that do what we do. They generally fall into kind of two big categories. Um, one is that um, it's just embedded in the carrier, so you know the, the carriers offer you know a fair to, you know some degree of price transparency just for free on their on their website. Um, or some of them have tried to quote unquote rebrand their uh, customer service line as quote unquote advocates. Uh, and then the other sort of uh, bucket is, you know, uh, third-party vendors that tend to be more technology-based. And so uh, really, you know, one, the fact that we're not the carrier is actually strategically how a lot of brokers and employers want to use us. I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with the carrier and their services, but a lot of employees actually want that dedicated advocate for them, and they don't necessarily want to talk to the carrier. Maybe they got burned in the past, or maybe they're distrustful. Maybe that opinion is justified. Maybe it's not. I mean, you know, people don't necessarily always act rationally. But the point is, is that this way they've got somebody else other than the carrier, other than the doctor, who's really just advocating for them. So we found from a trust standpoint and from an engagement standpoint, that's very helpful. And then two, it just gives flexibility to the employer as well. I mean, for your typical mid-market group, they're changing carriers every three to four years anyway. So that mm-hmm. way they can, you know, they, they can switch out their carrier if they need to for whatever reason, but they can keep that uh, interface with their Compass Health Pro the same. And we've got lots of folks where it's kind of a round robin where, yeah, carrier A, you know, now, three years later, it's carrier B, then it's carrier C, oh, back to carrier A. Um, and then as, as far as the difference between the, uh, the other vendors go, um, and that's where, you know, they tend to be more technology based. We found that it really is a combination of the people and the technology that, you know, we still have a portal and a smartphone app, you know, not to, not to stereotype, but you know, a lot of millennials like to do stuff on their phone and there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Yeah. But when, they, when they start doing things on their phone, they're like, Oh, this is more complicated than I thought it was. Gonna be. And then they get to hit a button on their phone and talk to somebody or, you know, or send, or send a message to their health pro. So it's really that, you know, because sometimes healthcare is like booking a flight to Chicago and you can use Expedia for that. It's easy. I get mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah, but then yeah. sometimes healthcare is like going to the top of Mount Everest. It's complicated. You could die. You know, it's like, it's a serious deal. You do not want to use a website to go to the top of Mount Everest. You want to use a like incredibly skilled mountain climber to like help you along the way. Exactly. Uh, and that's where, you know, and healthcare is everywhere in between. Uh, so that's where, regardless of the complexity or where you are, we kind of have the flexibility to be, to be able to help you with that. So that's, that's how we, that's how we differentiate ourselves uh, against other folks that are out there. Great. Great. And, you know, for me, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, I, I like to use a combination. I'd like to use, you know, mobile online, but there's plenty of times when I just want to talk to somebody. So I think that that's a good strategy. Uh, last question for you. Um, what are you most excited about right now in your business? Any, any improvements or enhancements or fun things that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would, I would say that it is, uh, it is around our, our, our mobile and our smartphone experience. And uh, I think that, you know, we, we started rolling out our, our um, smartphone app in the fall of 2016. So it's been about six months now. We're mm-hmm. uh, in the process of rolling that out across our, our current client base. But I think, you know, if you think about the ways that, um, that smartphones have revolutionized even things like banking, right? You got a bank, but you got a bank app. And it's like, ah, take, take pictures of your check and you can do all this money transfer stuff. And, you, and, you know, for more complex things, you got to go into the bank. But for a lot of it, you can do on your smartphone. So I think the flexibility 
between like, you know, not only generationally, but also just situationally. That there's some situations where frankly, it's just, you know, better, it makes more sense to do it on the phone and other situations where you really do need that. So I think that there's, uh, there's, there's a lot more that you can do, you know, cause you can even, you can even do, you know, aspects in terms of like your, your geolocation services in terms of, you know, taking, taking pictures of, you know, your bills and sending them in that way. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do. So we, um, we, we've created the initial platform on our smartphone app, but I think that we'll be able to, you know, over time, just continue to add feature after feature, which is just going to really augment the member experience in conjunction with always having the help. So we're super excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Eric, um, uh, final question here uh, for those people who've been listening and you know, who are interested in your product and service, um, you know, other, other than, you know, working through their, their broker consultant, uh, how can they get more information about Compass? So we're Compass Professional Health Services. Our website is compassphs.com. Um, I write a, uh, a weekly blog that we have, you know, well over 10,000 subscribers to that blog. We've got a lot of videos on our website as well. A lot of people are kind of sick of reading things and they just want to watch stuff on video. So there's a lot of videos for them to watch uh, as well. Uh, and then we also have the uh, the LinkedIn Price Transparency Group, which gives you access to a lot of the blogs and the resources as well that we, uh, that we uh, host. So... Um, Michael, I really appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you today. Thank you for being such a such an such an excellent uh, interviewer, and uh, I appreciate uh, all your uh, your listeners for listening in as well. Very good, very good. Well, um, on behalf of our listeners and myself, um, I want to thank you. Uh, I know you, you have a busy schedule, so so thanks for taking time to to join us. I think this has been a great, insightful uh, interview. And uh, to our listeners, we we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And uh, with that, we'll, uh, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please do subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Compass's website and contact information. Questions and comments are welcome please do send us feedback at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.